Well, let's turn again to Luke chapter 24 and verses 13 to 35. Luke 24 verses 13 to 35. If you could travel back to any event in the Bible, you could pick one event in the Bible and you were allowed to go and see it. Which one would you want to go and see? The choice is too big, isn't it? Maybe you'd pick the creation and seeing the light shining out in the darkness and the mountains forming or the floods and be on the ark and look out over the deep. Or maybe you'd pick Elijah on Mount Carmel and seeing the fire coming down from heaven or to be in the boat with Jesus and see him calm the storm. Or maybe you'd say, I wouldn't like it, but I think where I should go is to the cross and see him die. Well, I reckon if I had to pick one, maybe it would be this one to be on the road to Emmaus with those disciples. It may seem fairly ordinary to you, but it's far from ordinary because to see Jesus risen, to hear him explain all of scripture and what God's plan is, to to experience my heart moved by the words and closeness of Jesus. Well, surely that would give me faith so strong and understanding so good and joy so deep that it would grip and motivate and infuse my life from that point onwards. And that's why the Emmaus Road is here in Luke. It's here in Luke. So we have faith that's strong and understanding that's good and the joy of experiencing Jesus. So our lives are gripped, motivated and infused by him. We're convinced of him and we love him. So we're going to go through uh, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35 now. And for each part of the story, we're going to consider what's the main aim? Why has this been written here? And then what does it also tell us about the experience of Jesus today? You'll find that structure in the notice sheet. If you've got a copy, that might help you to follow, because there's quite a lot of material we're going through this morning. And quite a lot of what we get here, we are also told when the women met the angels in verses one to twelve. And then we're also told it when Jesus met the other disciples in verses 36 to 49. The three accounts are, have quite close parallels. God, through Luke, is clearly keen on us getting this message and he's given us almost the same thing three times. So let's go through it now. And we begin with Jesus listening to sad confusion in verses 13 to 24. Here are two disciples. One is called Cleopas, and that's all we know about them. Although there are suggestions that this was Cleopas and his wife Mary, you can read about them in John 19. But we don't actually know. All we know for sure is they're disciples. One is called Cleopas, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about seven miles. And as they walk, they talk. How could Jesus do those miracles? but turn out not to be the Messiah? How could his teaching be so authoritative? It was so fresh and new, and yet it took us back to the old and showed us it again. How could that be? And yet he's ended like this, a total failure. 
How could God allow his good servant to die in disgrace and suffering and under a curse? Maybe he wasn't God's good servant. Maybe we've been conned. I just don't get it. And as they talk, a stranger catches up and walks with them. They don't recognize him. Verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. Those words tell us it wasn't just they didn't look properly. It it wasn't just he looked different. It was God, for some reason, wanted to keep Jesus hidden from their recognition at this point. What are these things that you're discussing so animatedly? He asks them and they stop and look at him with faces that are a picture of misery. Are you the only person traveling in Jerusalem who doesn't know about these things? The things that have happened in these days, everyone's talking about them. Weren't you here when it went dark? Don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people. But sadly, we have to say was. We have to say was because he's dead, killed by our people. And we thought he was the one who would rescue our people. We thought he was the one who would make Israel great again. Well, obviously not. He's been dead three days. There's some odd report about his tomb being empty and there's some crazy talk about him being alive. But, you know, it's strange times and in strange times, people say strange things. So are you surprised that we are feeling down? Well, let's pause the story. We've taken the story up to verse 24. But let's pause and ask, why is this in God's word? The main aim is it's part of persuading us to believe that Jesus is the risen saviour. Luke chapter one, verse four tells us that's the aim of Luke's gospel. His aim is to persuade us what we read about Jesus is real history. And he's telling us here. uh, Hannah, can you just scribble the mouse, please? Sorry, everyone, we've just got the camera has gone off. Okay, hopefully we're back with everyone again. He's telling us here Jesus didn't expect, uh, sorry, the disciples didn't expect Jesus to rise. The Messiah rising in the middle of history just is not the Jewish expectation. Their expectation was the Messiah will rise when the world has ended and the world clearly hadn't ended that day. For the Messiah to rise now just wasn't in wasn't in their category of expectations. And so it wasn't something they'd make up or manage to persuade others. Luke here is admitting the confusion and sadness and wrongness of the disciples of Jesus. And that's not something you do if you're trying to make up a new religion and get people to follow you. Luke is claiming the events around the death of Jesus were well known in Jerusalem. Everyone saw them. Everyone was aware of them. That's not a claim you can put in writing and expect to get away with if it's not true. And do remember, the evidence is strong that Luke was writing within the lifetime of people who saw these things. 
If you're not persuaded of that, that is so crucial. You need to be persuaded. Uh, Do get in touch with me to borrow this book. Can we trust the Gospels that gives you evidence they were written when they claim? Even that mention of the third day is making a point. Did you notice? Have a look at verse 21. Verse 21, they say it is the third day since all this took place. And Luke's making a point there. You see, they are saying, well, if it was just three hours after the crucifixion, there'd be some little chance he might still be alive. There's there's a tiny chance the Roman soldiers got it wrong and he'll revive if it's just three hours after crucifixion. But three days in the grave. No, our hopes are dead and buried. That's what they mean by three days. But what do you think when you hear it is now the third day? Well, if you know the story, you probably think third day is resurrection day. And Luke is reminding us the same facts can be viewed in different ways, depending on your starting point. Is your starting point the world or the word of God? The way the world thinks or what the word of God says. Here's an example of starting points. If you go to Beacon Hill, there are notice boards that tell you about the rocks there being hundreds of millions of years old. Now, that sort of thing bothers me. I must admit, I don't find it easy to brush that aside. It it does bother me. And so I asked a Christian who is a fellow of the Royal Geological Society of London about this. And he said, well, if you start from the presumption that evolution is true, you can get evidence in the Charnwood rocks to fit that. But if you start from the presumption that God made the world a few thousand years ago, you can get evidence in the Charnwood rocks to fit that. And it actually fits it very well. He said it all depends where you start from. And the disciples were starting from Jesus hasn't done what we expected. He hasn't fitted in with our expectations of the Messiah. Jesus is going to show them start from God's word and you'll find the evidence fits. So the main reason this is here in Luke is to persuade you Jesus has risen. And that demands your attention. If if there's anyone listening and you're listening, you come to church, maybe your parents make you if you're a child. But Monday to Saturday, you, you forget it. This demands your attention. Luke is saying, sit up and take notice. The resurrection is true and that should grab your life. But this also teaches us about meeting with Jesus today. You and me meeting with Jesus these days. When did Jesus meet with Cleopas and his friend? Well, while they're walking along the road, probably when they've only just got out of Jerusalem early on in their journey. When did they realise Jesus was with them? Well, right at the end of the day, when he's just about to leave. Jesus was with them in their sadness, but they didn't know it. Now, there's a lesson for us. It could be like that for us today. Jesus might feel a million miles away. You might feel abandoned by him. And yet he may be with you. It's good to feel hearts burning and joy at knowing Jesus. And and they will get that later. 
But most of the time that he's with them, they're not even aware of it. And so with us, we walk by faith, faith in God's promise. He's with us, not by sight, nor by feelings. Here's another thing about Jesus with us today. What's the first thing that Jesus does when he meets them? It's there in verse 17. What's the first thing Jesus does when he meets with them in verse 17? Well, he listens to them. He asks them about their sadness, about their confusion. This is a great picture of the care of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus, he knows how to care. It's a great reassurance to us. Luke 24 shows us the risen Lord who is the centerpiece of history. And gentle Jesus who is interested in our sadnesses and listens to our confusions. Let's pick up the story again and we move on to, secondly, Jesus correcting through the Bible. This is verses 25 to 27. Jesus correcting through the Bible. Jesus has listened to them and now he speaks. What's the first thing he says? Verse 25. How foolish you are. How clueless. What's wrong with your hearts that you that you haven't believed the prophets? It's interesting if you compare this with Luke 16, verse 31. In Luke 16, verse 31, it says. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And here is someone who's risen from the dead. But they're not convinced because they haven't believed Moses and the prophets. And so Jesus gives them a Bible study of Moses and the prophets, a wide ranging Bible study that takes them all the way through the Old Testament. What is Jesus doing with the Old Testament? He's using it all to show the Messiah must suffer before receiving glory. Now, I must comment on verse 27. Verse 27, because I think it's often pushed further than it claims. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And it's sometimes pushed and people say, ah, look, every part, every verse, every little bit of the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And when they get to part of the Bible and they can't see why it's about Jesus, they say it must be about him and they force A meaning out that's about Jesus that isn't really there. They make up fanciful allegories. Oh, here's something about a bit of wood. That must mean the cross. Okay, I've got it. It's about Jesus. And it gets fanciful because verse 27 doesn't say every little bit of the Old Testament. You can find Jesus there. They're pushing it further than it says. It says Jesus used all the Old Testament to point to himself. But they're also understating what it says, because it says Jesus used all the Old Testament, not just to show him, but to show that he must suffer and then receive glory. He's saying, I'm the center of the Old Testament and you put it all together from Moses to the prophets and you can find me and you can find I must suffer and then receive glory. Jesus Bible study is all about showing the Messiah must suffer. Notice verse 26. He had to suffer. 
It's interesting that the angels tell the women in verse seven, the Messiah had to suffer. And Jesus tells the disciples again in verse 46, he had to suffer. It's clearly a common mistake to not get how necessary the sufferings of the Messiah were. We can see that in what I could call the gospel according to Cleopas. Verses 19 to 24, Cleopas tells the gospel according to him. And it's this, a prophet with power can put things right. Because what needs putting right is this, we are oppressed by the Romans. And so a prophet with power can put that right. But the gospel according to the Bible is only a suffering Messiah can put things right. Because what needs putting right is the human heart that is full of sin and guilty in the eyes of God. It's a common mistake to underestimate the problem of sin and therefore not see the Messiah had to suffer. I used to go to a church that back in its history had become respectable and lost the gospel. And they needed a new minister and they got this minister who had two Oxford degrees because that fitted with their concern for status and being respectable. So they got this new minister. He got two Oxford degrees. That pleased them. That looks good. And then to their shock, they found he preached this message of the seriousness of sin and the need for Jesus to die for us. They didn't like that. And I used to hear phrases like this. We don't want that blood theology. We don't want that blood theology. It's nasty. Because they didn't think Jesus had to suffer because they didn't think they were that bad. No, they were respectable. But he had to. Because of the depth of sin in our hearts. Let's pause the story again. Why is this in God's word? Well, throughout Luke, we've been shown that the life of Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Everything is happening according to God's plan. And Luke here is taking the word of God spoken hundreds of years ago and the witness of disciples. They're seeing it then with their own eyes. And he's combining the two, the word and the witness. And he's bringing them together to persuade you. Jesus has risen. He's the savior you need. That's why it's here. We don't just have a set of principles that make life work better. We have a person who's real and he's risen and you can rely on him. But this also teaches us about meeting with Jesus today. What is it like to experience Jesus? What's it like to experience Jesus? I thought to help me think about this, I'd look in our hymn book. Our hymn book's got a good section on union with Christ and meeting with Jesus. And I looked at the hymns and the hymns have got descriptions of meeting with Jesus, like being a shepherd who cradles us being a sheep cradled in the shepherd's arms. There are hymns that talk about being with Jesus about like being fed while reclining on his bosom. I must admit, I don't find that the most helpful image, reclining on a bosom while being fed. But anyway, there it is in the hymn book. Uh, It talks about being raptured by his lovely face. Well, I'm sure all of those have some validity. But what was it like for Cleopas meeting with Jesus? Verse 25. Rebuke 
The first thing Jesus said to him after listening was quite a blistering rebuke. If you're not willing to take rebuke, you may miss out on the words and closeness of Jesus. Meeting with Jesus today involves our minds being addressed by scripture. That's what Jesus did. He addressed their minds with scripture. It involves having our understanding shaped by the Bible. It's not go off into the countryside for a mystical experience, although, as we've heard in the children's talk, you can learn a lot from looking at nature. But you meet with Jesus primarily by studying this book. I wonder, what's your response to verse 27 when you read that Jesus gave them this Bible study showing himself from all of the Old Testament? A very common and understandable response has been, why don't we get told what he said to them? The Bible's strange, isn't it? It gives us all those lists of kings and queens. Well, not so many queens in the Old Testament. And it doesn't tell us this sermon that we wish we could hear. Why not? Well, I think the answer is because we've got the Bible so we can work it out for ourselves instead of being spoon fed the answer. We can work it out for ourselves from the Bible, and that requires us to take our time to admit to God there's an awful lot we don't understand and we need him. Uh, That involves us getting help from fellow Christians and studying the Bible together. And all of that makes it much more likely for our hearts to burn within us as we see Jesus in scripture. Slow down. Slow right down. Give the Bible time. Take your time over it. Meditate over it. Turn it over. Chew on it. Pray about it. And you're much more likely to find yourself meeting with Jesus and your heart burning within you. Let's pick up the story one more time. Lastly, we find Jesus makes himself known so we can enjoy him with us. This is verses 28 to 35. Jesus makes himself known so we can enjoy him with us. They get to Emmaus. They get to the village they were aiming for. And Jesus is going to go further. But they say, stay with us. And now he's going to go further. No, come on, stay. Come in. Come in. It's too late to be traveling. It's too dangerous this time of night to go on. And they insist strongly. And in he comes. And they sit down to a meal. And Jesus starts to act as host. Did you notice that? Verse 30. They've invited him in to where they're going. But he's the one who gives out the bread. And acts as host. He dishes out the food. I well remember when I was a child, a uh, missionary my mother knew came to visit us and she started to take over. She started to act as if she was in charge in the house. And she said, I'm going to lead us in prayer now. And I must have been about eight. So I was quite young, but I was old enough to notice my dad was highly annoyed by this woman coming and taking over in his home. But there's something about Jesus, a natural authority that just seems right for him to act as host. They've invited him, but they end up receiving from him. And as Jesus does this, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their eyes were opened. It is phrased not as they opened their eyes, but. 
the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. Maybe through the act of breaking bread, the Holy Spirit reminded them of the feeding of the 5,000. Where we read exactly the same, Jesus broke bread and he gave thanks. And he, and he said that he would offer his body as the bread of life. Maybe the Holy Spirit prompts them to think of the Last Supper, where he broke bread and said his body would be broken and given. And now here he is. The Holy Spirit has opened their eyes to see that body that was broken is mended and in front of them. It's been raised to new life, ready to enter glory. And then it's all over so quickly. As soon as they recognise him, he disappears from their sight. How frustrating. And then these disciples who'd insisted it's too late and too dangerous for travel, they're straight back out of the door. They go all the way back seven miles to Jerusalem because they can't wait to tell others. We've seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Now, remember, the main aim of this is to give you an eyewitness account to persuade you Jesus has risen. Are you persuaded? He's risen from the dead and therefore you must believe his words. He's the Lord you must obey and he's the saviour you need. Are you trusting him? Do you belong to him? Is your life in his hands? And there's also so much we can learn here about meeting with Jesus today. Why in verse 28 did Jesus seem as if he was going to go on further? Why did they have to press him strongly to come and stay with them? I think he wanted them to urge him to stay. I think he wanted them to express their desire for him. I think he wanted to see if they wanted him. What about you? Would you want Jesus to stay in your house? Would you want Jesus round as a visitor? Would you want him to spend time with you? But, you know, hospitality takes effort and time. You have to switch off the TV. You have to put down that book. You have to go to some effort. You have to give him attention. Oh, you say, of course I would want him. If Jesus was to knock on my door, of course I'd want him round to my house. Oh, I'd love to listen to him. Well, does he know that? Do you give him time? Do you put things aside to give him your attention? Do you seek him as you read the Bible, as you pray? What's the significance of this famous phrase in verse 30, that it was as he took bread and broke it that they knew him? Well, the obvious answer is the Lord's Supper. There's even a communion hymn, be known to us in breaking bread, but do not then depart. Obviously taken from this passage. And that is valid, but I think that's too narrow. Because breaking bread then didn't just mean the Lord's Supper, it meant having a meal together. And having a meal together was a sign of acceptance and friendship. It wasn't just about getting food in your stomach, it was about having a social time. And so I think the application is Jesus meeting with us as we meet together as Christians who accept each other. That's why us getting back to normal meetings is so important. Let's pray that that would happen soon. In fact, I think that's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be, a high point of Christian fellowship. 
Not a time of silent individual introspection, which sadly we've turned it into. I think the Lord's Supper is supposed to be that time of Christian fellowship and the sign of accepting each other. And as we do so, Jesus meets with us. Now, back in the first part, I said that Jesus can be with us and us not know it at all. Jesus can be with us and we don't feel anything special. I've said that Jesus being with us is often about addressing our minds from the Bible. But in verse 30 onwards, we find they get an experience of Jesus that goes beyond the mind. It does have feelings. It does raise the, I was going to say the temperature of their hearts. I don't know if that's possible. I expect you know what I mean. We find that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. There's a spiritual experience here and they're clearly bursting with joy as they know Jesus is with them. Little bit of church history. I think it's good to know a bit of church history. In the 1700s, there was a Scotsman called Robert Sandyman and he was a minister of a church and he promoted the idea that faith is just agreeing with the Bible in your mind. It's just you read the Bible, you understand it, you agree with it. It's all just a matter of being taught well and then agreeing with that teaching. And that's all it is. And because he was called Robert Sandyman, this teaching that spread was known as Sandemanianism. Well, I think there's quite a lot of Sandemanianism in evangelical churches today. It's just all intellectual. It's just we read the Bible. Do we understand it? Do we agree with it? And do we go and do it? But biblical Christianity is much more than that. It involves experience. It involves the Holy Spirit working in us. It involves Jesus meeting with us. And it involves seeking this heart set aflame by knowing him. Don't be a Sandemanian. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with joyful love of Jesus. But but this isn't supposed to be just a drug to make us feel good. As soon as they'd seen who Jesus was, what did they do? Well, they went out the door and they tramped seven miles back to tell other people. Interestingly, it's the same with the women in verse nine. They're straight away off to tell others. And it will be the same with the disciples in verse 48. They will go and tell others Jesus has risen. And it should be the same with us, too. Uh, someone took his wife to to the hospital to what do you call that part where the women go to have babies? The labour suite. He took his wife there because she was going to have a baby. And as he went in the door, there was this big bouncy Turkish man. And he said, I've had a daughter. And he was bouncing around very loud, telling everyone, my, my wife has had a daughter. Followed joy and just wanted to tell everyone. Now, you might not be a big, bouncy, loud Turkishman. But are you convinced that Jesus is alive? Does it fill you with joy? And do you know him? Well, like them, let's get out of the door and tell people.